Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep. On today's episode, it is volume two of the Effort Weekly with Gabe Yanez and Matt De La Valle. Now, I talk to these guys all the time, but it's nice to catch up with them once a week on a variety of different topics that are on our mind. Today, we talk about personal goals. And how does that affect relationships? We talk a little bit about Lance Armstrong. Talk about how to get that last final, you know, few percent gains. When, you, when you're working towards something, you got to get that last 2%. How it's so much more challenging to get that last 2% and what does it take to get through it. Talk about, you know, top 10 at one company versus another top 10. And then we finish it off with this conversation about handstand push-ups, which we're going to f- start back up again on volume three. Now, if you guys are enjoying these episodes... Keep in mind that the Effort Over Everything podcast is transforming. It's evolving. And I'm spending a lot of time on it because I want to try and dive into as many subjects and as much value as we can provide. So we're going to continue to bring on guests. We're going to continue to have Effort Weeklies. And we're even going to start doing some Q&A style episodes. So stay tuned for that. If you like these episodes, leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Let us know what you want to talk about. And let's dive into an incredible episode with MDV and Gabe Linus. Let's go. So my son comes home from school uh, right before we record this podcast and he's, and he's, and he starts crying and I'm like, dude, come on. I was like, bro, I got to go jump on with MDV and Gabe. Like what's going on here? And he's like, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I am underperforming or whatever. And so he got back with what are called star tests. And what they are is they're like these, um, they're like regular tests in school. And, and Ava got back some yesterday and she performed really well. And Caden was already like at 72% or whatever it was. It was like average above average based on this, the way the critique was, he was just crying. And it's just interesting. I guess the reason why I'm bringing that up, man, is like as a kid, um, I don't know where I'm going with that actually. I just, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just, it breaks your heart, but at the same time, like that's the reality of life, man. You're going to get tested and there's going to be times you're going to excel. And there's going to be times that you don't do as well. And and as a parent, I'm like, bro, you're still doing average. You're okay, but let's start working on this. But just watch the way he was broken because he wasn't in the highest percentage. Just, it was right before we got on the microphone. I just thought, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was fresh on my mind. Yeah. Um, uh, Kaden, Kaden's the best. He'll be all right. Uh, question I have to kick <laughs> off what I wanted to talk about today. Go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Kick it off. I think the Kaden thing was a tangent. They call that. <laughs> we'll have a couple of those in this conversation, I'm sure. But here's a question for both of you. And Jason, I want you to answer first. Lance Armstrong, winner or cheater? Oh, winner. boy. Winner. Winner. Yeah. MVP? I got to say cheater. Oh, man. Gotta see, say we're, we're going to have a good Time conversation. Yeah. No, I love this. And so the reason I wanted to start off with that is, you know, we've been Obviously, we, we, we love this idea of effort over everything. It's a big part of our brand. The three of us are so fired up about it. But, you know, I'm, I'm so curious about your guys' thoughts on, on people that are so, like, to be the best, the absolute best in the world at anything, right? I feel like a lot of people end up straddling this line of, like, what is going too far, right? What is just, like putting too much on the line to get there. Mm. And, you know, being cyclist, triathlete, like Lance Armstrong was always a huge part of my life. Like I was maybe the biggest fan growing up and it like- You still have crushed. your yellow wristband? Uh, oh, no, no more, no more. No, it's now, it's a, yeah. now it's a Nigu one. No, Nigu. Uh, 
but yeah, man, I used to swim with the yellow wristband. Like I was like Lance Armstrong, like through and through. I remember I had like the professional cycling kit of like his team radio shack, which is like absolutely ridiculous, right? You're wearing like a radio shack. Team radio shack. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was his team, man. Um, and it crushed me. I remember I was so upset at like when everything came out about, you know, like him doing PEDs and everything. But like, I, I've watched like every Lance Armstrong documentary like that's been put out. And I think it's just a really interesting story of like, you know, in a sport where you're so driven by performance and there's this like atmosphere where quote unquote, everyone's doing it. Like if you're that set on winning and you have this crazy like cancer story, you're trying to come back from it and you're this like type A, like hard charger, like, are you still a winner, even though you did this thing that, you know, if you hadn't done it, not only would you have gotten second in the Tour de France, you would have gotten like 30th. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an interesting conversation. The reason why I say he's a winner, and I get what MDV is saying too. Well, I haven't um, said my opinion yet. So well, you no, don't know no, what like, I'm say. no, the fact that <laughs> I get, I get how you could see how he's not right. Like, because part of it, it's kind of sad, right? It kind of tarnishes his entire like career over this. And I'd say he's a winner because first off during that time, he inspired a lot of kids, a lot of people like you, Gabe, but dude, you don't think that guy was busting his ass every day to win the tour de France. And he didn't just win it once. He won it multiple times. So it shows that like, it's like saying that Barry Bonds isn't like a phenom, but dude, you could give me all the steroids I want and I can't hit a hundred mile an hour fastball. I mean, this guy dedicated his life to this. And I think that the reason why I say he's a winner is because I imagine almost all of his competitors are doing it as well. And he put in a lot of work. Now, do I think that it tarnished him? Do I think that it's super sad, but I still think he's a winner because I, I can only imagine how much work went into that accomplishment. And for that alone, I have to, you know, give him credit. That's all. The question was very clear. Is this guy a winner or a cheater? And it's undeniable that he's a cheater. It's absolutely undeniable. It. it is undeniable. <laughs> that's, yeah, the, right. that's, the, that's the fucking question. He, he cheated. cheated. He got caught. <laughs> he cheated. He cheated. He cheated. He cheated. He lied about cheating. He lied in interviews about cheating with a straight face. He lied about it. If the rules of the sport were different and you were allowed to blood dope and you were allowed to take PEDs, then he wouldn't be a cheater. He'd be a winner. But this, at the same argument goes for Barry Bonds. Unfortunately, it, we're not asking whether or not these guys are talented athletes. Of course, they're talented athletes. Of no, no, nearly nobody in the world can hit a baseball like Barry Bonds, whether or not he is on or off steroids. That's not the question. The question is whether or not he uh, explicitly and intentionally took something that gave him a competitive advantage over his other people around him, whether or not they're all on it or not. And he was outside of the rules. In both those cases, both those guys were. Now, the really interesting question is when you talk about, hey, is like Tiger Woods getting LASIK surgery Ooh. to improve his vision? Is that a performance enhancer that should be outside of the bounds of, uh, of the sport? It's kind of tricky in there. But if you're just yeah. talking cheater or winner, like it's pretty clear both those guys are outside the rules. I mean, Gabe, I have to change my position because after MVP <laughs> got all lawyer on me and uh, <laughs> he, he made it very clear. You asked a very simple question, cheater or winner? He cheated against the rules. It's that simple. And I, I get it. Maybe it's just my soft, my soft side coming out and saying, oh, well, he tried really hard. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, I, and I love this because I couldn't have scripted it any better. Like I didn't tell you guys about this question beforehand and you both had like the perfect opposite sides of 
the argument, right? And there's merit to both. Like if you were to ask me that, just like no prep on the street, and obviously I've thought about it a lot. I think given everything that I've seen now, like I get what MDB is saying, but I would say he's a winner just because the Tour de France is like the most single, most challenging sporting event out there. And just to go out there and win seven of those in a row. It doesn't matter I, though. I, I, I get it, it. It has no bearing on the question whatsoever. <laughs> that would be like asking if Matt, let's say like Matt Frazier got popped after the fact and you're like, Hey, is, it was Matt Frazier, uh, uh, you know, doing steroids. And was, was he a, a loser or was he a cheater? Or was he a winner? He'd be like, no, like I cheated. That's how he won. Like, it had an impact, but I'm not saying that he does that, not at all. But, <laughs> you know, the, the, the question is simple. It's not whether or not he's a talented athlete in a tough event. Of course, Lance Armstrong is a talented athlete in a tough event. But you're asking whether or not he's a cheater. You watch some of those interviews, man. They're fucking ridiculous. He's lying oh, straight to the person's face. Have yeah. I ever been caught? I've been tested X number of times a day. He had the most sophisticated cheating system ever. That's how he didn't get caught until somebody, his buddies ratted on him. That's true. Side note, Icarus is an amazing documentary that if you guys haven't seen, good highly, documentary. highly recommend. Real good documentary. But I, I oh, so I, I mean, on that note, you know, like this idea of effort over everything, I feel like, and, and this isn't what we mean by it, but I feel like it could be conflated in this idea of like doing everything it takes to get to like a desired goal, right? And I think that there, there is a much more black and white line too, if you're competing in a professional sport and there are rules that are laid out of what you can take and what you can't, that's super black and white, right? But what I think is an interesting conversation is like when it comes to, you know, even being competitive in CrossFit or, you know, even like trying to be as healthy as possible, like where is the balance of like taking it too far to where it's an obsession that maybe you don't realize isn't the healthiest thing for you to do. Um, and I, I think it's an interesting conversation because me and me and my wife, Arielle, were actually having it the other day where we were saying, you know, at what point, like all these little health things that we do, and I know Jason's brought it up to me a couple of times, you know, at what point are like all these like health hacks and not eating this and like eating this, like at what point are the returns that you're getting on it so minimal that it's, almost being like too one-sided in one direction, if, if, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a tough conversation to have without having an understanding of the person's goals and how close or far away they are from that goal. And then also the size of the, the magnitude of the goal. Because if you are saying that, hey, listen, I want to get really good at playing pickup basketball, you can imagine that being like a goal that's got a really wide funnel. You can do a lot of other stuff and still practice being good at pickup basketball. And you can probably go and fuck off with your diet and fuck off with your fitness or whatever. And just, you know, practice your dribbling, your driveway, take some jump shots. And oh, now you can go to the park and play some hoops. If you're saying, Hey, I want to be a first round draft pick going to the NBA. Well, now your margins for like error outside of the goal are very, very minimal. Like not only do you have to be extremely physically gifted, but you have to do a lot of other things to put yourself in the position to get to that draft day and be a first round pick. You probably have to pay high attention to your fitness, your nutrition, your recovery. You have to be doing things that are going to give you a competitive advantage that are within the, the rules. You have to be exploring alternative options for therapy on your body and stuff like that. That to me 
depending on the goal is how you have to frame that conversation. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that person who's trying to get to the NBA, maybe they can't have this one specific thing because it makes them feel bloated and they can't play right. Maybe that doesn't matter for the person who's just trying to play pickup hoops. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, looking at it from across the games perspective, um, you make certain sacrifices based on the goals that you want and it's all based on what you want. And I think where it becomes difficult is when you start putting additional pressure on yourself to um, always be trying to optimize, optimize, optimize. And then it becomes so much that you're like, I guess it's like, you got to pick and choose your battles is what I'm saying. If you want to be healthy, if you want to live a positive lifestyle, um, you know, for me, I have to pick and choose. Like, for example, if I do sober October, for example, that's something that I would like to do. But then when I talk to my wife, <laughs> she doesn't want me to do it because for her, she enjoys this social thing. Like we've talked about, about having a glass of wine, you know, a couple of days a week. And for her, there was many, many years in our relationship that I did hold the line. And I said, Hey, look, I'm not going out. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And it actually kind of stressed our relationship a little bit. I remember one night I was getting ready for regionals. I was really, really training and she wanted to go to like a friend's birthday party, whatever it was. And I went over there. And I wasn't drinking, but you know, I, I was just, you know, kind of vibing, whatever, but I wasn't drinking. I wanted to go home pretty early because I had an early training session in the morning and she just kind of hit her wall. She's like, Jason, like, dude, like I get that you're training, but like you're a total buzzkill and you're crushing. Like, I want to go out and have a good time with you. But at that point it was good enough because I was training for regionals and training for the games that she was able to sacrifice, but she's not in that headspace right now. So I have to pick and choose the things that I want to pursue based on the overall family too. I think that's what it comes down side to. Note. Yeah. Well, no, I think that that's exactly what it comes down to. It's like everything, every goal requires sacrifice. And I think it's understanding kind of what the, you know, trade-off of that sacrifice is and either being okay with that or not. But I think, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, want to have their cake and eat it too a bit. Um, and that's where you have the conflict of, Hey, like I want to, you know, lose this last 3%, 4% body fat percentage, but don't realize that like that last three, 4% is going to require exponentially more sacrifice than like the, the first 10%. Um, and I feel like body composition goals is just something that, you know, our space specifically tends to struggle a lot with because that's like the most clear cut example of like, you can get half of the way there, like in two weeks and, that other half might take you two years um, and a lot of sacrifice and being super diligent, super consistent, sacrificing a lot of the, you know, other things, having a good communication with your significant other, because they might not align with those things. So I, I think you nail on the head, hit the nail on the head, Jason, with, you know, it's, it's about kind of knowing where you're at now and kind of recognizing the level of sacrifice that, that that'll take. Yes. Yeah, I, the body composition one is a fantastic uh, analogy because it, it, it is a something really that good people, analogy. Yeah, it is something that people think about. You know, they want you know, visible abdominals. Whether or not that's important to you, I, I don't really care. You know, there's a lot of people out there who go, oh, oh having abs isn't a big deal. It's a, if it's important to that person, then it's a big deal. You know, so you're right. When you get to that point where you are now, uh, you know, below the average body fat, uh, and you're getting to the point where you're, Hey, this is lean. The sacrifices that you have to make to get down that last two or 3%, that's where the funnel is super, super narrow. You can't really be outside it all too much. And if you 
want it bad enough and you know, you're able to do it in your life and justify it without wrecking everything else. I think also having that kind of realistic understanding of what's going on in your life, you know, are you, is your marriage blowing up or your kids angry at you because you can't have a little slice of their cake or like you're, you're derelict at your job because you're not showing up fueled or whatever. Like you have to take that stuff into account, but that's like on the personal side of things. It's a great question. Yeah. And I think the personal side of things doesn't get talked about that, that, that much because you could use it both ways. On the one hand, you could be, I've met people who are way over the top and it really hurts their relationships with their family and friends. I've met the opposite way where it also hurts their family and friends because maybe they become, you know, sickly and really obese and whatnot. So it goes both ways. I think just having that self-awareness of that your decisions create, um, have an impact on other people. I think that's important. It's important to note. And I think the, the spouse significant other dynamic is, is an important thing that I, I know a lot of people struggle with. I've, you know, when the second apartment me and Ariel shared, um, I've always really enjoyed cooking and like making a meal, like a thing that tastes good. And that's partly, you know, coming up in a Latin American household. And I remember there was a, there was a point where, you know, Ariel was like very strictly like just counting macros and very plain food. And I would cook and like want this to be something that she would like enjoy because I know that it was, I made something that she would enjoy, but she would have something else. And it caused a little bit of friction, but it did turn into something where, you know, we had a conversation. I told her how important it was like for me, like putting food on, like literally putting food on the table for someone that I care for is like, you know, my love language in a way. Um, and for her to like, not want to do that, um, for something that I thought wasn't that big of a deal at a time, I think it was important just for us to have a conversation. And now we have a much better, like, you know, we cook together. Like I also make foods that like will fit into what her expectation is of her meal. Um, but I mean, like everything else just comes down to having a conversation and like you did about sober October, right? Yeah. And like Ash and I've had a lot of these conversations over the years because, you know, some would say I'm, I'm, I'm on a little bit more of the extreme side in terms of fitness. And, you know, she's not, I mean, that's just not, she, she, you know, she, she doesn't live and breathe it. And, and that's okay. That's actually, it's, it's a good thing for our relationship because it gives us good balance. And I've had, I had to work on that for many, many years. You know, anybody listening to this who is kind of like a fitness fanatic for lack of a better term, you know, the, sometimes the harder you push, the more you push people away. And I think that listening and, and hearing what they have to say and then letting them when they're ready, you know, have that conversation and support them, I think is the key. You know, Ashley, every day, every day at 9 a.m., she's in the garage. If I walk by the garage, she pretty much stops. Uh, she wants to do her own thing. She doesn't want me there. She doesn't want me to coach her. She doesn't want me to inspire her. I could walk by and be like, you go girl. And that's it. And, and, and that's what she wants. And that's what she's found her rhythm. And I'm dude, I'm super stoked. I'm super proud of her. But if I try to go in there and try and like, you know, give her a workout, whatever, boom, she, she just gets pushed away. So, yeah, I think that, Good. but this works on both sides of the equation too. Like, I think when you're talking about bouncing your goals off of your significant other, yeah, you have to be mindful of what that person can tolerate in the relationship, of course. But if something's really important to you too, you'd be doing yourself and, and probably long-term the relationship a disservice by not at least chasing it down in a responsible manner or figuring out where's the balance because you're going to resent this other person if you go, hey, yeah. you told me I could never do this and now I, I missed out on all those years where I could have achieved it, right? You don't want to yeah. be in that, that territory either. 
it's it's obviously a conversation about balance and communication. Yeah, no, you're you're spot on. I mean, using myself as an example, every year at the CrossFit Games, we would finish the CrossFit Games, we'd go on vacation, and then on that vacation, we would set up a day at the end of it to, or actually, when we got back, we don't do it then, where we we formally sat down and talked about the next season, and that was important because as much as I was sacrificing, Ashton and the family are also sacrificing as well. But you're right, MDV. There'd be some days, right, where I'm like, hey, this is really, really important to me. Like, I really want to go do Team USA. Like, will you support me on this? And it's like, oh, yeah, great. Um, but then, again, it requires a conversation. At some point, it becomes too much. But uh, I think that's really important to acknowledge for anybody who's trying to – and this doesn't just go for fitness either, right? This is careers. This is a new sport. This is whatever. Yeah, because anything, a career, you know, like – requires a certain amount of sacrifice it's the same exact thing and that might cause some friction so i think that it it, it applies to all that um you know speaking of career the other thing uh -oh. that i was uh -oh. super curious to dive in with you guys is you know we, we talk about leadership a lot and I, I know that a lot of people that tune in are head coaches gym owners aspiring to be in those positions and regardless like just leadership qualities are important nonetheless and you know, one thing that I was listening to on a, a podcast with Jocko actually today was this idea of, so Steve Jobs was known for being this like incredibly hard ass, like would make firing like a big deal. And I've heard Gary Vee criticize him because he made like the CEO rule, like role, it, it made it cool to be like this, like mean over the top boss, right? Where you have to like storm in, make a huge scene and fire someone. And he, Gary Vee's on the other side where he's all about like being that empathetic, compassionate, like always leading with like love and hearing people. So what's, what's your guys' takes? I know that those are like opposite ends of the spectrum, but you know, where, where does the ideal leader fall on that spectrum? Uh, I'll go first. I mean, I, I think there's a dichotomy and this is a cop-out answer because it's isn't that, isn't, isn't that part of his book? <laughs> book. It's his book. It's called the dichotomy of leadership and it's an amazing book on leadership, but you have to balance those two extremes and find yourself having a high level of awareness of the situation of the person of all the different factors that you're uh, considering in terms of how you're going to respond to something or what level you're going to take something to. I think more often than not, though, you know, in terms of leadership, the most important thing for me is that uh, the leader who I'm following, getting in line behind, is that that person is walking the walk. Anything that I'm signing up for that they tell me that they want me to do, I also want that person to be very deeply invested in. I want them to live the mission to the utmost. I don't want to see cracks in that person's foundation in terms of like, oh, well, sometimes they're over here and they talk about this, but you know, they asked me to do this over here, that kind of incongruence or that kind of like hypocrisy, I think is really, really challenging for leaders. So wherever you fall on that spectrum, I do think you have to have the ability to kind of navigate both. You have to have empathy, but you also have to be able to fire people and you have to be able to say, Hey, this is not the right place for you. or You're not right for the team, but it, it's a dichotomy. It's a tough, it's a tough, tough role, right? Because, uh, if you, yeah, it's a tough, I, I obviously I agree with everything MDV is saying, you know, I was, I was with the echelon front guys, uh, and, um, in, in particular, in particular 
Leif and I were having a conversation. He said something to me that really struck me. Um, he said, if you want to, if you want to be in charge of everything, you should strive to be in charge of nothing. And it just kind of st struck me. So uh, I'll just repeat that one more time. If you want to be in charge of everything, you should strive to be in charge of nothing. And it's this idea of being a silent leader. And um, what he was really saying is like when, and he was specifically talking about wartime, right? So you go into a house and any leader who's barking a bunch of orders and going crazy, traditionally, they weren't doing their job. They should just be back thinking about the next step, thinking about where the team is going next, because they already have um, empowered others to know what that job is and to be able to go and execute it. And so it's just something I've been thinking about a lot is this idea of like, if, if you want to grow a business, right, I should be, my goal should be to be not formally in charge of every anything, because I have a great team in place that already knows the mission, the culture, the vision so well that they're able to go execute and I could just show up. That's the goal. Um, I know it's a kind of tangential to what you're talking about, but you know, um, Jocko says a story about how they bought a, they bought or rented a building in Austin, Texas, that is now their echelon front HQ. And Leif was talking to me about it. And Jocko had never even been there as far as I was concerned, but he didn't have to go there because he just showed up and his team already knew um, what to do. And so that, that I think from a leadership perspective is what I strive towards. And that's where I want to go to is everybody should already be moving in such lockstep because they know what the company stands for and the vision that, uh, nothing needs to be spoken. Yeah. That's, that's where Jocko excels. And that's like, you know, we talk about guys like Sal Frazella, Andy Frazella, what they do at first form. There's a lot of similar qualities there. Those guys are fucking relentless when it comes to the understanding of the culture and the, uh, the enactment of it. The reason why that guy who works for Jocko doesn't have to call him up and say, you know, hey, come down here and check out the space is because he already knows all the non-negotiables that Jocko's going to say, no, 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 or yes. He doesn't have to worry about those things. The culture is just so deeply ingrained. I mean, Jay, I think what you said was spot on. One way that it's been said to me by a really good mentor of mine that saying the same thing, but in different words, and I, I really like it is like, a good leader will have the company like rocking on all cylinders while they're there, but a great leader will have it rocking on all cylinders when they leave. Right. And it's the same idea of you shouldn't be this person that like is the only one that can do all these things. And if for some reason you were to either, you know, leave or, you know, hit by a bus or whatever, or disappear that the company would fall apart. It should be that, you know, you set up the people around you to be able to kind of pick up and if not just, you know, continue to thrive. And I think that that's, that's that same, same idea, but let me kick it back to you. And, and even if you delegate and you have all these people that you trust that can do this stuff, how much responsibility is there in a leader to still have a working understanding on all the different things that he's delegated? Like how in tune should the CEO of a company be on how we build emails to market and how the salespeople sell and how, you know, the, the engineers build the final product. How important is that? Are you asking me or Jason? No, either. Uh, I'll, I think it depends on the size of the outfit. I think it depends on how mature the organization is. You know, hopefully if you are the leader of a humongous organization, yeah. you've developed people over time who really truly understand how you want to operate and all the different bits and pieces and what's important. And then they operate in a way that 
attracts people underneath them and operate a, a, a people that attracts underneath them. So it's like the entire culture of the company has been set by you in some way, shape or form, or at least you have a really strong hand in it. And then down the ladder, it's continuing to develop that way. But you have to still be in charge of all the things that keep that engine going. You, you can't just say, all right, well, I set the, the flywheel and I never got to spin it again. You still have to yeah. be investing in, in the people and the development of the culture and making sure that they have all the things and the tools and the resources that they need to be successful. But in a smaller company, you know, if you're a 10 person outfit, yeah, goddamn, you should know probably just about everything that goes on. Because if that one, one person leaves, there's probably not a long list of people that can back them up. And you're also probably managing a lot of those people day to day or hand to hand. You have to have an understanding of what they do or else they probably don't have as much respect for you in a way that they are going to do their job to the utmost because they can tell you this whole like, oh yeah, we did this. And if you don't know what their job is, or if you have no idea how to perform it, they can just be feeding you a bag of lies. So I think it kind of depends on the size of the company. Yeah, like looking at our company, it's, it's really interesting because like, I feel like I have a general idea of most roles because I've done a lot of them at least at some point along the journey. But take, for example, like our app and our software engineers, I have almost zero visibility in what it's like to build out an app. So when we say, oh, we want to create a new program called NC Flex, and they say, hey, it's going to cost this amount of dollars, and it's going to take 40 hours. I'm sitting there like, okay, like I have no idea. And that is not comforting as a leader, as a, as a, so this idea that I think for me, at least, I want to have a general idea of as many things as possible within the business without being so involved that you're now micromanaging and whatnot. But I mean, just talking about, again, using the software engineer as an example, that's kind of, it's, it's not fun to not know how many hours it actually takes to do something. If you have a baseline understanding, like exact example is that first form, you know, they have everybody start at the warehouse. And I think having people start at the warehouse or having people start on the floor coaching or the front desk, it gives you a good idea in our gyms of what the product is like. So as you navigate into other areas, you have that kind of mutual respect and that, that framework to go off of. Something else to think about from a leadership perspective is like, I've also made the mistake where I was completely hands-off, like way too hands-off in some areas. And at times when someone wasn't doing it right, I wasn't as aware of it. And it took me a long time to go back and, and write some potential wrongs because I just wasn't involved at all. So having a baseline idea, I think is important in that sense. Otherwise you end up with hundreds of thousands of dollars in inventory of double XL shirts and extra, extra small shirts, but no, I'm not bitter about it at all. <laughs> it's kind of like taking your car into the, the mechanic. And if you don't have a strong right. understanding of how a car works, that guy's going to open up the hood and be like, mm, 10 G's. Well, you know, you can't really just take them at face value for that. You probably have to go and do your due diligence or get a better understanding of like, well, what is actually the issue here? Can I gut check this against somebody else? Can I bring it to a shop for a second opinion? And, you know, in, in terms of like, like that, when we're working with the app developers, yeah, like we should be doing our due diligence. If they show up and go, hey, it's going to cost 40 hours and 40 Gs. Be like, ah, sounds a little dicey, but okay. Like, no, we should check. We should go and see like, yeah. what's up? Yeah. And the context for that question, and this is an interesting thing that I had no idea. Um, apparently, Elon Musk like does a lot of the like low-level engineering for Tesla. Like he is an incredible like just basic engineer, and not that he's not an incredibly smart person. And he actually is the one that like will figure out how to troubleshoot a lot of the 
you know, things that people just can't figure out, but he works like on the actual engineering. Um, and it's, it's said that that's a big reason why he's such a charismatic leader at Tesla, because he's literally like in the front lines, you can say, like really kind of like building it. And he's really well known for like spending, you know, the night down on the factory floor and stuff like that. So interesting example where it's like a really big company and he's kind of built this persona being the charismatic leader by, you know, doing the most basic foundation job that that company has to do. Something to be said about that too. I think you can gain a tremendous amount of respect from your people by rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty and, you know, being involved at that level with the product. And, you know, with Elon, he's definitely obviously one of the smartest human beings on planet earth, you know, but Jocko, when Jocko is selling geese and stuff like that, he's not an expert in sewing. He's an expert in jujitsu. So, you know, when he's going out there and putting on echelon front events or he's writing the next book, he's very rolling up his sleeves and getting his hands dirty with that kind of stuff. I think it kind of depends a little bit in that case on like what your particular skill set is and like what you're looking to accomplish by doing that thing. I think that Elon probably has some ulterior motives in, in doing that in showing the people that, Hey, he still is very involved in this and this is how important this is. And this is the level of uh, excellence that I'm going to demand out of it. But it also is like probably enjoys it. He probably doesn't yeah, like yeah. all the board meetings and stuff like that. Probably likes programming. It's like, I like coaching, right? So I'm in our gyms. I coach. I take class every other day, every day. So I enjoy doing those things. So it's not like a big deal. But I think it also adds value to from a business perspective as well. Well, I, I mean, on that note, should a gym owner ever be coaching zero hours on the floor? Well, I think it depends. I think MDV brought up a really good point which is, I think it depends on what their strong suit is. So I think for me, I think that, you know, a strong suit that I bring to the table is I think I, I, I could coach an okay class. So assuming that's the case, I, I want to go out there and I want to be able to walk the walk, talk the talk so that when the team is looking for inspiration or if the team, the team doesn't have to ask like, Hey, does that guy know how to coach? If I'm asking them to coach, I'm going to be able to back it up. That being said, if it wasn't a strong suit. So for example, if we were talking about maybe a subject that I wasn't as comfortable in, um, perhaps I wouldn't put myself out there as much, but our product is coaching. And so for me to be able to do that, it feels good for from an organizational perspective. Yeah, Jason, you're a fantastic coach. I, I don't, let's not mince words there. You're one of the best. <laughs> if, if you weren't great, it would be really hard for you, I think, to talk to people with a straight face about, Hey, this is what I want you to do when you take the floor, or this is what I think about coaching. It's tough because then there's that disconnect between the people who are doing the job and then you as the leader who's trying to grasp at straws to lead these people. And they go, well, this guy doesn't actually fucking know what's going on. He has no connection to what we do. He doesn't understand it. Yeah. He's come to the gym every now and again, but his strong suit is X, Y, or Z. I think if there's that gap, if you're the leader there, you have to have the foresight to go, I need to probably bring somebody onto the team or promote somebody to be the person who leads in that specialty area. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to manage that person in a way that I manage uh, these parts of business, which are my strong suit. You report to me on these parts of the business and let's collaborate on what I think that what we think the vision should be for coaches in our organization, as opposed to trying to just like force yourself into a square peg round hole type of situation. Yep. 
So th- this is going to seem like a like a huge tangent, but I promise it. I it, like tangents, bro. I'm, no, no, you know, but it my comes back. Is, my throat hurts so bad <laughs> from getting a gi cut across it earlier this morning, and so that we yeah, gotta talk about no that gi. later. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh, man, man, talk about a tangent. But all right, so here's here's a tangent, but it'll circle back to what we're talking about. Um, so Ariel and I have started watching Survivor every night. It's like oh. our show. We're going back and watching old seasons of Survivor, and it is Phenomenal. such a good show. Dude, it's so great with the kids too. It's it's such a family friendly show because oh, it's such a good show. It's like it's wild, it's cool, but it's not like you know, it's not a bunch of like, whatever. They yeah, did. It's have, not there was crazy. some there was some steamy stuff in a couple of seasons, I think. Oh, steamy. Yeah. Maybe maybe the older seasons. Maybe they've had to clean it up. But I think what's been super interesting in the seasons that we watched is just like really looking at like the team dynamics and how like having a full team of Type A's always goes wrong right? Like having a bunch of people that just like everyone wants to like steamroll their way. Like they always just lose. It's, it's like, it's surefire. Like I can tell if a tribe is going to do bad because it's all these like pompous like people. And I think that obviously team dynamics applies to running a gym, running a business, running a company. And I was wondering, have you ever considered, cause I know some companies do this where they actually run their team through personality tests to kind of see where everyone falls on certain personalities. And, and there's like, there is a science to like a certain like mix of people that should work well, because it shouldn't be a full team of like 10 type A's. There should, right. there, there has to be number twos in there. Have you ever MVP, considered that? We, I'm just curious. Did we do that a long time ago? Do you remember? We haven't done personality testing. Um, we do self-evaluations. We do feedback and stuff like that, but we, I don't think we've, while I've been at the organization, we haven't done anything like the, the uh, what's it the called? The formal one, like the, yeah, I can't, off the top of my head. Like, or a, yeah. what's it called? The big five, the big five. Well, no, now yeah. that you're bringing it up, um, actually, I think that's something that'd be fun for us to do. We should look into that, but we have not done it. But I mean, obviously, I, I, I agree with you, Gabe. I think that, um, I do think Survivor is super interesting, especially for the kids to watch because they're they're seeing some strategy. They're seeing some physical tasks. Um I mean, one of the things I liked about, there was a new episode the other night that the kids were watching. There was a woman uh, and a guy who were having a really tough time doing some physical tasks. I said, Hey, like, that's why every day we just got to sweat once a day and move our bodies. Because if we need to go do a physical task, we should be able to do it. Uh, You know, you know, plug for fitness, of course, as I'm watching that, but you get to see the way they strategize behind the scenes, which I think is really cool for the kids to watch, but that's a great show. Um, And there's quite a bit of life lessons that are built in there randomly that I could just kind of spew at the kids as we're watching. I didn't even think about it being so great for kids, but I love that. It's phenomenal. MDV. Yeah. From a personality perspective, I think one of the best things that you can do is work with somebody who's the polar opposite of you and learn how to work with that person and have a productive working relationship because you, it's easy to get along with people who are similar to you. At some point you might reach an impasse where you both want to kind of steamroll one another if you're both type A, but generally type A people kind of understand how type A people operate. Yeah, you might reach this flexion point, but if you're a type, super type A person and you're faced with a super type B person and you're trying to get the team to the same goal, sometimes that's really, really challenging because I'm more of a type A person, but I've worked with a lot of type B people in particular at Reebok and then other companies that I've been with. And you know, they don't have the same type of personalities. They don't work the same way. They're typically very creative, a little bit more open. They like, 
when they see a wall, they don't see a wall. They like visualize what's on the other side of the wall. And like it problems don't really exist. Like all these kind of like areas to get around them. It, for me being very practical, it's tough to work in that environment, but I've, I've done it and not always been successful in it. I've definitely had my challenges, but it's definitely one of the best things that you can do is if you are faced with working with somebody who is very opposite to you is just have an open mind about it and just see what it feels like to be with that person, what ideas they're going to bring up and don't have that knee jerk reaction where you go, no, this would never work. And that works for both sides too. a type B person. When they face with a type A, they don't typically just like the next easiest or the next most efficient solution. Yeah. And I feel like there's so much value in, if you are a leader and a manager, like, and you're a type A person having to manage some people that are, you know, more. And, and again, like I, I, sometimes there's this like, like type A better, higher achiever than type B. It's just very different ways of approaching goals and thinking. And I think that the, that, that split tends to happen a lot between exactly what you just said, like creatives and more like just process driven, like there, there needs to be an SOP for this. Like there needs to be structure. I need to see three steps ahead of what's going on as opposed to like, well, my creative process is this, this, and that. And it can be tough to. So am I like, a creative or, or am I, I'm not, uh, I'm not in these SOPs. Oh man. I don't, I don't know what Jason is. You're more of a type uh, B person. <laughs> in my opinion, you're type more of a type B, B person, more, more type B in, in business, I think, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. yeah Cause I, I think type A is just like what we asked last time we spoke, like wanting like discipline and rigidity and like repetition and like knowing where it's going as opposed to wanting to like, you know, Hey, I'm going to figure out the day as it goes. And there are some things that I know I need to get done, but how we get it done, like it'll kind of be more of a river, less of a, less of a, of a plank. These guys just dropped off. a. a, So we brought up the rep rig from down South and I'm putting it in my garage and they call me like, hey, we don't do this. Ah, well, you know. And it's like, well, dude, what do you want me to do with this rig? I'm like, ah, you know. So they just like throw it in the garage. I get out there. I'm just like, shit. I probably should have given them better direction because zero, zero, zero uh, direction. And now I have this big ass rig that I got to figure out what I'm gonna do with because uh, they must swap out for the other rig. But anyways, that's a good point. <laughs> Be more direct. I, I would have had to be there and like watch them unload it and like you know, the, oh, yeah. that piece does not go there. That piece goes over here. Yeah, yeah. I just it's off by put that thing it's off by an inch. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, bro, just like, dude, you know what, man? Just like throw it somewhere. Like, I'll figure it out later. It's all good. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's good. It, it, it's really interesting stuff because I think that the core team at any company or even a team in, in competition, Jay, which you probably have a ton of experience with, like it has to have the right dynamic. It has to like gel. You guys have to be in lockstep. And one super interesting thing that I heard last week on how I built this for Kayak, the, um, the travel website, because Kayak, when they like started, were a tiny team versus like Priceline and Expedia that were like huge companies at the time. And I love what the founder said. And he said that, you know, they say that like your top, 10 people do the majority of like the work and like get you in the direction. And he felt that his 10 were just as good as Priceline's 10, oh, as Expedia's 10, if not better. So he didn't care that they had, you know, 2000 people under that. He just cared that he had these 10 people that he'd match them up against anyone in the space. And I, I, I love that. Because cool. I think I, we I have an awesome team. 
I think what they say is like 10% of your workforce does 90% or 80% of the work or something like that. That's, I think that's what the, but same, same idea, same analogy, right? Is that if you have 10 guy, 10 people that are moving in lockstep together, I think where it starts with though, when you talk about teams, whether you're competing, you know, like I've had to compete on different teams for like CrossFit and Team USA or, or team series or different things. Ultimately, what the foundation is, is that we don't know these people that well. I mean, we, over time you get to know them, but they're from all across the country with different backgrounds, different ways of being brought up. But I think that where you start is this idea of mutual respect and, and communication, right? So you start off this framework, hey, we're going to respect each other. We're going to listen to each other. And from there, you could, you, the sky's the limit, assuming you guys, you know, can communicate effectively and, and work together. Um, but I think that's the framework, at least from a competitive perspective, that you both know that you earn the right to be on the team. There's a mutual respect. And so you trust each other. And then it goes from there. I love that. I, I also think you have to have a mutual understanding of the common goal and then a mutual understanding of like the general culture in which you're going to try to achieve that goal through. Because if even if you have a mutual respect and understanding for the people, if hey, we're going to win this competition. And one person's, oh, the way that I'm going to win it is I'm actually just going to meditate the whole time. And like, well, I can respect you for that, but like that probably doesn't jive with how we want to work together. Can you do some thrusters over here, please? Yeah, exactly, right? So I think that communication and respect, very important. Obviously, you have to have that. That's like showing up. But common goal, understanding, yep. But also, what, what kind of culture are we going to have in terms of us getting there and some of the tactics? Um, Really cool question. I also love that quote. It's a great quote. Yeah, man. And, and I mean, that's all I had planned to talk about today, but that's just mm-hmm. to say that like, I, I think our 10 at NC fit, I'd stack them up against any 10 in the fitness space. I'm pumped to be here. Pumped to do these every week. I get a um, 10, a 10. <laughs> remember varsity blues? Remember that MVP? No, I haven't seen that movie in oh, forever, man. Wait. Never mind. There's going to be somebody listening right now. It's going to be like, I know exactly what he's talking about. Anyway. I was going to ask you guys whether or not handstand pushups are necessary, but we can save that. We can save that for another time because that got some, uh, that got some people fired up. Let's save that for another time. All right. That'll be the, like, that'll be the to be continued. I love it. Dude. Love doing these. Yeah. We got it. We got to do these on a regular basis. We got to figure out what we're going to call them. UE one, UE two. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Noodle on it a little bit. Maybe we should put some online and see what people think. There you go. But handstand pushups right. next week. I'm excited. Handstand, handstand pushups, the most uh, uh, controversial movement in, in, in CrossFit? No. Uh, <laughs> probably kipping kipping handstand pushups or kipping kipping pull-ups would be Over, probably overhead squat? No? No, 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 no. Not even close to the to the kipping controversy. Mm. I think I think when people if you're talking about like what a globo gym person or like a traditional mm. fitness person would close their eyes and go, what does CrossFit look like? They would picture somebody flailing on a bar wildly doing kipping pull-ups, cheating yeah. pull-ups, cheating pull-ups. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what? Next, next time we do this, we should talk about the kipping pull-up and handstand push-ups in particular, kipping handstand push-ups. That one I think is another layer past the, the traditional handstand push-up. Oh, for sure. For sure. Dude, some of the stories about kipping handstand push-ups are just n- n- completely gnarly. Anyway, yeah. Let's talk about it next time because we're going to go deep if we do it right now. Uh, Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. See you guys.